Hello and welcome back. This is episode seven of Control Alt Delete, the podcast of the same name as my book, which comes out in July. Um, I'm not quite sure how to even start off this episode. I am beside myself with excitement. This person who I'm about to introduce is honestly my favourite writer of all time. I think I can safely say that. And obviously there are so many people I admire, but oh, anyway, I'm going to get on with it. Um, Today's guest is Cheryl Strade, and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably interested anyway in writing and feminism and social media and books and etc, etc. So I think you will know exactly who she is. So um, it feels a bit silly to do an introduction, but of course I will do one anyway. So Cheryl's first book, Torch, came out in 2006. Her second book was the memoir Wild, From Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail, and it was published in 2012, translated into more than 40 languages. And within a week of its publication, it debuted at number seven on the New York Times bestseller list. Wild was then chosen by Oprah Winfrey herself. And then it was turned into an Oscar-nominated movie adaptation starring Reese Witherspoon as Cheryl herself. So yes, Cheryl Strayed is amazing. She also wrote Tiny Beautiful Things, Advice on Love and Life from Dear Sugar, which was a selection of Cheryl's most popular Dear Sugar advice columns, which she wrote for The Rumpus from 2010 to 2012. And it is one of my favourite books. I reread it constantly and it is always my recommendation for anyone who wants to know what book to read next. Uh, so Cheryl's uh, fourth book is Brave Enough, which is a compilation of quotes and amazing inspirational things that Cheryl has said throughout her whole writing career and I've given it as a gift to a lot of my friends because it's just a very uplifting thing to have in your handbag. So before I waffle on any longer I just wanted to say obviously it's amazing that I've had such incredible guests on this podcast and it's been an absolute joy to make. So thanks for listening and I think you're going to enjoy this one. Hello. Hi Emma, this is Cheryl Strayed. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. It's actually quite surreal talking to you because I've binged on every talk you've ever done, probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, for talking to me. I love following you on Twitter. Oh, you're, you're full of all kinds of interesting things. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Twitter is the best. I mean, yeah. I feel like um, most people I've kind of invited on the podcast, it's, it's helped just be able to tweet them. It makes it a little bit more organic and easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, I just wanted to say congratulations on such an amazing Super Soul Sunday. Oh, thank you. Thank that, you. That was so fun. Yeah, it looked... I mean, how is it being in that chair next to Oprah in the woods. <laughs> I know you've been on it before, but... Yeah, it's interesting because the first time I was on the show, it was surreal because I had just met Oprah. I mean, I, I actually met Oprah as I was walking onto the set of that very first Super Soul Sunday, which we shot in April of 2012, about a little more than a month after Wild had been published. And I was sitting across the table from her and on on one hand we were having this completely natural conversation and on the other inside of myself I kept thinking I am talking to Oprah Winfrey (laughs) I'm talking to Oprah Winfrey and so it was surreal but but what's happened since then is Oprah and I 
really have become friends. Mm -hmm. uh, I like her and, and I connect with her. And so the opposite sort of thing happened when we were shooting that second Super Soul Sunday, which we, which we did in February of this year, mm -hmm. a, a couple of months ago. And so we're sitting in those chairs. We're surrounded by cameras and producers and so forth. And we started talking. And I said to her after we wrapped, I said, oh, my gosh, I hope that was okay because I forgot that we were on TV. It really felt like we mm -hmm. were just having a conversation. And so Oprah's come to be somebody to me. Obviously, I, I you know, she's still this world-famous, amazing woman. But I've come to know her as a friend. And I sometimes have to remind myself of that kind of the surreal nature also of her existence. Yeah, that's amazing. You could really tell that you obviously were such good friends. I love the bit where Oprah said, um, oh, could you just repeat that story about when your kids wanted to go, um, jump off that mountaintop? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just lovely because it was, it was obvious that you chatted about that, like just normally in normal conversation. Yeah. Well, and, and she's so kind to children and she's been so wonderful to my kids. And one of my um, favorite kind of stories that, that I think illustrates, you know, how, how just how down to earth and lovely Oprah really is, is that when my, my kids about a year ago got um, iPods and they were, you know, playing with like text messaging and stuff. And my son was downloading every emoji he could possibly <laughs> download. And he found an Oprah emoji and he right oh away God. said, mom, mom, you know, I have to text Oprah this emoji. And I said, oh, you know, don't, don't bother her. I'm sure she knows that that emoji exists and <laughs> she doesn't want to be bothered. And he's like, no, you don't even understand. Like it's, it's an emoji that's her and she, she's going to want to see it. So I let him do it. He texted Oprah and he said, look, Oprah, look at this emoji I found. And, you know, maybe a minute went by before she texted him right back. And she said, Carver, that's my favorite emoji. Thanks for sending it to me. Aww. And, you know, things like that have happened over and over with my kids and Oprah. She's, she's such an, she pays attention to the best things, to the mm -hmm. things that we should be paying attention to. And, you know, to them, um, she's just this lovely friend. She's not the, the great Oprah Winfrey, even though they're aware of, of that part of her too. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Oh, I mean, I, I love that, obviously, this podcast sort of the theme is around the internet and social media and how it's helped and hindered lots of aspects of our lives. And um, Brave Enough, obviously, I've read all your books, and but Brave Enough is the one that I've actually given as a gift to quite a few people. It felt like I couldn't just have it for myself. I had to share it. Um, but I love how it came about when you said that it was almost the internet created you know, crowdsource these top quotes that were shared. Yes, absolutely. When did that idea come about? Yeah, I mean, well, thank you, first of all. But absolutely, I don't think that Brave Enough would exist without the internet. It really, it really was, um, it rose up from all these tweets and these Instagram posts and, you know, and things I'd see on Facebook. People would make these, these um, memes that would be like quotes from my various books. And I was so amazed by that and struck by that. And I just thought it was sort of a beautiful thing that lived on the internet. And about, well, I guess a couple of years ago, my publisher started noticing it too. And they said to me, well, what about we collect these quotes, you know? And, and I, I thought, I thought about it for a while. I honestly was hesitant because I first 
was afraid that the book would be it, it interpreted in a way that I didn't intend it, that it would be like that I had sort of thought, I'm so wise, I, I want to gather these quotes and share them with you. And I, and I realized that I needed to um, sort of step back from that idea uh, you know that, and and just be be fearless, like mm-hmm. I've always encouraged people to do, and say that's not it at all. That's not why I gathered these quotes together. I gathered these quotes together because I know how powerful quotes have been in my life, and what the internet has shown me is that there's this whole community of people who have found consolation and and truth and power in things that I've written, and they've all given them back to me, and they've given them to each other via the internet. And so, really, brave enough is just a collection of what other people showed me was meaningful that's so interesting because also I feel that sometimes I'll look at a quote on Instagram and I'll be kind of stressed out and I'll read it and think oh yeah that's nice and uh, you know it will affect me but then I'll sort of just move on with my everyday whereas when I sat down with with your book it was it was really hard-hitting kind of seeing them all together um yeah it was such a cool idea some things some things I think you need to sort of take off the internet (laughs) into like physical um, realms. Yes, absolutely. I think so too. And, you know, really, um, there's something about uh, having, you know, being able to sort of have words with you. You know, I know people can like snap pictures on their phones or put it in their notes or whatnot, but I, but I love that it's in a book. And it's so interesting. Just, just last night, actually, I was looking at um, the book sales figures and, you know, it's, it's sold so many more hard copies than, than, than um you know e e copies mm. and i think it's for that reason that like people like to have these they want to put it in their bag and have it with them yeah and i wonder how many people have have you know given them away cuz i i um i bought a few and then i just kind of it, it just is such a nice gift i just really felt like you're giving someone something that actually means something thank you do you have the american edition or the uk edition um i'm not sure it's the one with like the kind of the whitish cream color yeah. with like the red font. Yeah, that's um, the UK. Is that edition. the UK? Yeah, I actually uh-huh. really want the green one though. <laughs> yeah, I know that green one is so pretty. Actually, you know, it was originally that it was my UK uh, editor. Um, it was his idea. It began with him, and then it then my US publisher was like, you know, that is a good idea. So they went together on it, but very different looks. The, yeah. Each, each Books, book has a, a very different look on the on I the, find that you know, so interesting yeah that yeah. process with like what cover for which country and all that yeah. sort of stuff it's so cool um but the other thing that really struck me struck me in the super soul sunday um was this I love your honesty that's why I love your writing so much but you touched on the fact that four years ago when you were on for the first time that you were this you know new york times best-selling author with wild but you said that your rent check bounced. Yeah. And I just felt like I wanted to hug the screen because I feel (laughs) like, I know that you said you kind of weren't ready to say it at the time, but do you think there is, it is important to sort of be honest about the realities, the financial realities of being a writer? Because I feel successful when my writing does well, but at the same time, it's hard to say that, you know, it's not easy to sort of make the money straight away, I guess. No, and it's not. And for most writers, it's it's never easy. I, I I am really outspoken about this, and I know that a lot of people think that you shouldn't talk about money, and that it's a taboo subject, and it's rude, and it's you know all it's it's all of these um, things, and you know we're not supposed to do it. And yet, I've long been an advocate 
for being really open about money, especially in the arts, because I think it really works against us. It's the only job I remember when I was, you know, I went to graduate school and I got my MFA in creative writing. And I remember thinking, here I am in this master's program and it's, it's one of the, you know, it's only in the arts that you can uh, step into your professional life and your income could be zero mm. or it could be 10 million, <laughs> you know, and that, and that there's this really wide range and most, most of the range, let's face it, is down quite low and not a livable uh, wage. Um, even very successful writers have a hard time actually paying the rent and making a living. And that was m- the case for me really until this kind of crazy lightning strike situation with Wild is that even, even though I did have a successful writing career, you know, I wasn't, uh, a, you know, the, the, the sort of best-selling author, but people in the lit world knew me. I had published a novel uh, that was well-respected and well-received. I was publishing regularly as an essayist in, in magazines, both print and online. Um, I was, you know, writing the Dear Sugar column. All of these good things were happening, but I was absolutely broke and made very, very little money. And so I talk, I want to talk about, um, you know, first of all, what is success in the arts? Because, it, you know, mo- many other professions measure, measure success by in financial terms and you just can't do that in the arts Mm -hmm. but also I think when writers talk honestly about like well how much should you get paid for a book and why and and uh how how do how do we make this um this work sustainable I think that that the more information we share with each other the more power we have I mean I'm not talking about like writers unionizing or anything but honestly that's kind of how workers throughout time have gotten power. Is they say, yeah. let's let's tell each other what's happening so that we can come together to creatively maybe support each other and solve some of these problems because it is a problem. I mean, I think it's a real problem that that many of the you know most interesting writers of the age you know are are struggling so mightily financially. Um, I did not come from a. a background. I mean, I, I grew up working class and poor and I, I, my husband's a documentary filmmaker. So I never had any kind of outside support. I always had to make my own way. And, you know, obviously there are writers in all sorts of situations. Many have spouses who can support them or parents who support them. But I think when it's, you know, people like me and pe- there are a lot of people like me, how do we do that work that does matter to the culture so much um, when mm-hmm. we're not supported in real ways that yeah. have to do with money? Yeah, because that's, I feel you're so right that it's, you know, the more open we are, the better, because it, if everyone's writing for free, for example, for a certain magazine or a certain thing, then that, why would that publication pay more? So it's almost, if everyone demands more, it's kind of yeah. better and not so secretive. Um, but yeah, it's interesting around sort of like book festivals and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And you, I just keep reading so many articles about, you know, well-known authors pulling out of, um, of festivals just because it's so badly paid. And it's, it's such a shame. It's, there's such a value on books and art and writing. There is. I mean, we, we do value literature. That's, that's the thing. And we do value, I mean, even, and, and I'm just going to throw in all writers, you know, from, from, from journalism all the way, you know, poetry, prose, you know, all of, all writing, um, you know, that's what the internet is, right? I mean, how many links do you click on every day and you're mm-hmm. reading these interesting articles or crazy things or, you know, I mean, if somebody's making that content, somebody's writing that work and researching those stories and, um, and we don't want to pay. You know, one time, every once in a while, I'll post something 
on like my Facebook page and, you know, an interesting article. And, and if it has a paywall, people will say, oh, you know, they'll mm. be indignant that it has a paywall. And I, I always think it's like, well, so, the, you know, the apple that you ate this morning also had a paywall. And the, you know, every, nobody would ever expect to walk into a grocery store and, and, and take free food or mm. take free anything, right? The socks you're wearing have a paywall. So why shouldn't that really deep uh, essay that you just read about the effects of climate change, why shouldn't that have a paywall? Why shouldn't you have to pay three bucks to read it? And, and so, you know, it's complicated. I know. I like to click on things for free and read them too. But we do have to come up with a way of supporting our writers if we expect them to flourish. Mm. And it's also, um, I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy when it comes to assuming that other people are really successful or you know making loads of money or something it's so it's so interesting when the curtains pulled back and someone on the surface can look so successful but you know you never know you never know what's going on behind the scenes I love that episode of um, Dear Sugar where you discussed like the private self and the public self um Mm -hmm. I, I find that so interesting especially you know like a Twitter persona versus a real persona and how they need to be the same really do you yeah. do you feel like you know now that you are you know famous in the literary community it are you still do you think totally the same I am the same but people people's ideas of me have changed so uh, that that's one of the things I you know I'm still coming to terms with like what it what is fame because that's that's one of the most interesting questions I've been asking uh, myself over these last few years is what what is it because you know I my I haven't changed I, I'm I'm me and you know I have my my kids and my husband and my my struggles and my life and my friends and you know all of those things are are have remained the same but then the the one thing that's changed is this that a whole bunch of people who don't know me now know me and before mm-hmm. they didn't know me <laughs> and what they know is a combination of the actual me. I post, I do all my own social media. I'm adamant about that. I don't, I, I, you know, that my social media platforms, I curate myself. I decide what to tweet and retweet. I share parts of my life and, and withhold others. But, you know, you're seeing, you know, a very sort of authentic version of myself. It's not like I am vastly different in person mm-hmm. than I am online. Um, but, but that people, even this idea of like, well, what is a famous writer? Um, you know, what, what, what kind of life, what does is, what is my life feel like? What does it even feel like to write? So often when I give talks and I'll talk about how hard it is to write and how much I struggle, people always say that they're so surprised. And I'm like, well, but why are you surprised? And, and the reason they're surprised is that they've decided without having any information about me that now that I'm a famous writer that writing is easy. Mm-hmm. And so that's all about their projection, yeah, their decision yeah. making. And and so to come up against that is kind of interesting. I mean that's just one example. But um over and over again when I meet people, when I do events, they'll say, It's so amazing because you're so down to earth, which, you know, I really take as a compliment. But I also think it's a comment on what they think a famous person should be or yes, is, yes. which is not down to earth, you know, that in some ways who I am runs contrary to who they think I will be, mm-hmm. uh, is all about their idea of fame. Yeah. And it's not about reality. And so it's been really, it's, it's interesting to be on the other end of that. And also to reflect on my own uh, biases, the way, you know, you said earlier, um, sometimes we see successful people and we make assumptions about about them 
and even things like assumptions about how much money they're making. You know, um, I can't tell you how many people have presumed a lot of incorrect things about me mm. um, because of that that kind of that idea. Yeah, and it's so it's so important to not presume that much yeah. about things because it's not it's not fair on on the person because uh, you know it's interesting that that people's perception would change just because you know you're going on the red carpet and you know your friends with Reese Witherspoon for example right that, that's kind of assuming that like Reese Witherspoon isn't a real person exactly. with real feelings which isn't fair either um and that, that's what I love about social media yeah no that's it is and Reese too I mean Reese is just a plain old real person and she's become a dear friend of mine so is Laura Dern and you know that's that's what's so striking to me is uh is is not the, the idea that they're real it's the idea that they're not real mm. and that is the the idea that we need to rethink um because it's it's simply not true you know famous people are just people who have we just happen to know who they are as opposed to all those people who we don't know who they are. Yes. You know, there, there's, there's really, I mean, obviously there's some difference in that they have to have a different life because of their fame, but essentially they are just people. Yeah. It's funny because um, another episode actually of Dear Sugar that, that I loved was the How to Survive the Critics. I listened mm-hmm. to that one quite a few times just because I was going through a patch of like having some feedback that kind of got, got to me. And it's it's funny that you know it's kind of true when it really really gets to you um but it was lovely hearing like you and Steve and um it felt like you were kind of you'd been on the journey to not really caring as much anymore and it was quite nice to hear that you you'd got through it to the other side yeah um how how have you sort of got to that place where you know it doesn't affect you as much as maybe it did once upon a time yeah well the, the the way I was forced to get through it because what I learned is what happened is, you know, when, when suddenly a whole bunch of people love you, there's also a correlating percentage of people who are going to hate you. And what I really had to do was to, to learn how to, to, you know, not, not pay any mind to the people, to the haters. You know, I really, when I see a nasty tweet or somebody has posted on my Facebook page or Instagram and they say some horrendous thing to me, I really try to just simply block them, you mm-hmm. know, and to, and not to, not to engage, not to try to, to think like, why doesn't this person love me? And, you know, so th- just shutting that down immediately has been really helpful uh, and not, not going on to Amazon and reading my one star reviews. And so, so really shutting it out. But also the flip side of that is to remember too that you know I'm really grateful for the kind things that people say to me. Uh, it, it it does make me feel good. But also to re- remember that if I'm going to block those haters, to also you know not not define myself against the lovers either. You know, mm-hmm. not to to really believe my own press. You know, to say oh thank you so much, and and move on and and not that let that be what makes me feel good or bad in a day. Yeah, it's almost like you have to have such a secure idea of who you are because I think what what's hard sometimes is if you're not quite sure, you can read a negative and a positive and you, you can't really believe either of them. <laughs> you can't. And, and that you really have to trust your own intentions in your own life. Like I know, the thing is, is I'm, I'm my biggest critic. I'll be the first one to tell you that... Uh, my books aren't perfect and I am not perfect. And I, I mean, I'll be the, I'm the first in line there, you know, and I don't need anyone else um, 
to 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 tell me that. Yeah. I'll, I'll also tell you that I'm I've worked really hard and I care passionately about the work I do, and I always try to do my best. And so the thing is, is when you remember that, like if you if you can actually say you have done your best and you know it's imperfect, but it is your best, then you what you're doing is sort of. Um, Staking your like that's where you that's where that your 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 sort of judgment and values rise from is your own sense of what you've accomplished rather than what other people think of what you've done. Yes, um, I, I I was listening to something I think it was on long form podcast which um, I loved your episode as well and I, I listened to Liz Thank Gilbert's um, yesterday and she said something that honestly just made so much sense to me. It was about. Um, the difference between doing work that is your soul for like your soul's work versus your ego and how, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you do something that makes your soul happy, you're actually fine. You don't need necessarily the ego part, but it's always nice when someone likes your stuff, <laughs> obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, and that's, it is, we're all human. It, that, that's the other thing. It's, you know, you're talking about these really famous people like Oprah and Reese and, you know, people I think too assume like, oh, they're so famous, they don't even care what people think of them. But that's not true either. We're all human. And, and it's really hard to, to take that advice to say, oh, just ignore the haters. And I can't say that I, that I totally do. Does it hurt my feelings when I see a nasty tweet? Yeah. But what I do is I don't dwell on it. I go, mm. oh, oh, that hurts. Ouch. Block, you know, out of my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then move on, you know. <laughs> and, and that's the same. And, and, and the same thing with praise. You go, oh, thank you. A little hit feels good. And then you move on. You don't let those things define who you are. Yeah. Another thing that I love um, about kind of Twitter, I guess, um, specifically it, for me personally, is um, kind of how you can build this tribe of like fellow writers or like people who kind of get, get it. Um, and I wonder if, um, is there anyone who you've, I mean, it's clear that you've got this kind of community of, of friends who are also writers. Is there anyone that you do turn to for like some feedback that's just quite neutral? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I want to say Twitter and all social media, it's, it's such, it's, it's really made such a huge impact in the literary community. You know, this, this group, group of people who have no, you know, sort of, uh, we work alone, right? We work alone. And suddenly on social media, we're together. How old are you, Emma? Um, 26. Yeah. Okay. So you're 26. I'm 47. And I'm going to tell you that, um, when I was, and it's, it's a really honestly a mixed bag. When, when I was in my twenties, the only writers I knew were the writers I met, you know, Mm -hmm. they were the people who I would go to the reading or the poetry slam or whatever. And in, in I li- was living in Minneapolis in my 20s and then Portland um, as well. And, you know, you would just, you just had face-to-face people, but it was like a lonely business, you know? And, and I think on one hand, that's a positive thing because I was not measuring myself against, you know, a thousand other writers who I follow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I didn't have those thousand other writers to offer advice and comfort and support, you know? And so I think that, that it's been a really interesting shift and I certainly do follow so many other writers and have met people on social media, but I would say the one who has by far been the most influential to me, and you just mentioned her, um, was, is Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, she went through what I went through, you know, obviously Eat, Pray, Love and Wild have had very similar kind of, um, trajectories and we we connected uh, shortly after Wild came out, and she said to me, "You can, you know, we connected via email." And she said, "You can, 
you can uh, <laughs> talk to me, speak freely to me, because I know the moment you're in. And a couple of times I took her up on that. And really, at some of my darkest moments when I was feeling um, sort of the heat of, of this big success and struggling with it, you know, I, I emailed her um, right when the movie came out. And I said, will you please help me? You know, will you please tell me how to handle you know, this spotlight, because I was getting, you know, had a lot of haters and a lot of lovers, and I was just feeling overwhelmed. And she emailed me back and she said, do you want me to be honest? Or do you want me to just console you and make you feel better? Because I can do either one. Oh, wow. What an amazing thing to say. I I know. I thought it was so thoughtful. And I said, please be honest. And she wrote me an email that that I will never, ever, ever forget. I treasure it so much. And it's really a powerful, beautiful, deeply consoling and deeply honest email about the nature of women and success and fame and achievement and the people who want to take people like us down. And I, I really, I mean, it, it, it shifted, you know, the way we read things and you go, oh, that changed my life. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's email to me changed my life in that way. Wow. And um, I think about it a lot. And when I when I um, am having a hard time, I remember the words that Liz wrote to me. And all of that, you know, we've never met in person yet, believe it or not. And yet she reached out to me across, you know, these these crazy networks that jo- that connect us. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, because what a niche um, <laughs> position that you were in. You know, both of you had books that were being made into films at so many similarities and yes. to find each other so easily is so amazing. Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, cause no one talks about really the downsides of success. I don't think, you know, it, it's amazing. Obviously it's like a hundred million different reasons why it's awesome. I can imagine, but I read this quote yesterday, um, by Bette Midler and it's, um, it says the worst part of success is trying to find someone who is happy for you. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I've I've thought a few different things about that. And one of them is that I think I'm really fortunate that I had this big success when I was in my 40s. And I'm fortunate for a number of reasons. One is that I was grown up enough to to you know, uh be sort of even keeled about it and not like again not let that success be the sort of definition of who I am. But also I think so many of my peers in the lit community felt like, I mean, they knew I'd worked for, been working for a long time. You know, this wasn't something that happened to me overnight. And I, and of course, you know, I I think that, that if you happen to have wild success and you're 23 years old, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it becomes, you know, more threatening to, to people in the lit community who have been working for a long time. And so at least my peers could go, yeah, we've been watching her write for the last 20 years, you know? So there was a sense of like, um, you know, that it was, at least I got something, it was like, you know, people knew that I'd been in the trenches, you know, so that helped me. But yeah, certainly, I'm sure, you know, I've, I've had a lot of, I've had mostly love from people, and lots of wonderful, uh, just beautiful emails from writer friends and acquaintances and, and people I've never even met who would go out of their way to say that they were happy for me and, and cheering successes. And honestly, you know, taking joy in ways that I found so, so like life giving. And I think that there's this writers have this bad reputation of somehow being, you know, like bitter and taking each other down. But, 
but that hasn't by and large been my experience. You know, I've, I've really received so many kindnesses from other writers and many of them online. Um, on the other hand, I have had a couple of experiences where, you know, a, a writer acquaintance um, said to me a few months back, she was like, uh, you know, I, I've been struggling to figure out where to, where I land on, you know, this success you've had. And, she said, you know, like, like so many people have struggled to land on where you're, about your success. And, and I said to her, well, you know, the thing is, is if, if you're struggling to land on where you, how you feel about my success, you're not my friend. And, um, and, and it is a landing. When you're not sure whether you should be happy for someone who's had good things happen to them, that means that you're not happy for them, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that's pretty clear. When good things happen to our friends, we should be happy for them. And when bad things happen to our friends, we should feel sad for them. And I know that it's more complicated than that. I know that we all struggle with envy and jealousy. And I'm not saying that, that those feelings can't also run, run alongside, you know, our, the pride we take and joy we take in our friends. But I do think that they're that they're emotions that we should manage. Because, you know, one of the things I always come back to is whenever I felt jealous about other people, I think, okay, would, would I want and expect them to be happy for me if this same thing happened to me? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want to be the beneficiary of other people's goodwill. Um, and in order to have that, we need to extend it. And I've gotten really pretty clear about that. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like that there's like this willpower that you need to, to kind of not get too wrapped up in other people's stuff and kind of do what you want to do as well because I feel like maybe that is perpetuated a little bit by social media of constantly comparing yourself to what other people are doing but um I I, I feel like I need tunnel vision sometimes just to get on with my stuff but that doesn't mean that I can't like celebrate everyone else around me all the time as well absolutely and that's and that's it social media you know it does we we all sometimes look at it and go well why why her or why him and why not me? And I get that. I think that, you know, is really alive and real. But it's, but we also need to remember, it's kind of like that thing I was talking about earlier with um, so much of fame being about projection and like not having to do with the actual person at all. That these jealous feelings are also that way. That it's about you and your own struggle with how you feel about the work you're doing and, and also the love you're receiving. I really feel strongly that like we all just want to be like basically the one that everyone loves to death, you know, <laughs> you know mm. we, we want to be that person. <laughs> yeah. And so when we see somebody else getting, you know, having that light shined on them, we feel, you know, in some sort of primal way, like, well, why isn't, why isn't me? And what I always do is I just remind myself it's me sometimes. And, and, and you wouldn't want to always live in that <laughs> yeah, light, you know, so you true. really wouldn't. And it's, and it's also that, you know, that's the other part that's so crazy to me. It's like, it's not like one person gets to be successful. Okay. You know, I really believe that like, man, I'm so excited when my writer friends succeed because, you know, here we are. Like, look at Liz Gilbert. The reason I could talk to Liz Gilbert and she could talk so honestly to me is like, we both had this great thing happen to us and we could speak freely. And I'm always like, join the club. Like, I want, I want all my friends to, to succeed you know, really uh, well and in all different kinds of ways. Obviously, there are so many different ways to succeed. So I really like think of myself as, you know, part of my job as a literary citizen, that phrase that we've been using a lot, is just to be, you know, really happy for people. Yeah. And I've, it's so amazing to like to collaborate. 
I feel like it's just so much more powerful, you know, when, when two or more people sort of just get together and do something together. Yeah. It's amazing. It is. It is. And it's so I, great. And kind of on that theme of um of success, like what what I love as well about you and Liz Gilbert is this fact that you've spoken a lot about sort of what comes after the massive success and actually you totally you're totally relatable with kind of what to do next. It's almost, you know, life goes on and I'm going to keep creating. It is. It, and, and, and not just keep creating, and it's still going to be hard. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I'm always like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm right now, I'm writing my next book. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's going to like it. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just writing. And, and th- this is always what I've been doing. This is always what I've been doing. I've been doing this since I was 19. Wow. Is it, is it and, like literally you start again? Every it's time. absolutely like you start again. Now, the, the, there is some of it changes, but none of it has to do with success. The only piece of it that has changed over the years with my writing life is a. I I do know how to get to the good stuff more quickly. You know, because I because mm-hmm. I have uh, learned the craft of writing. I'm always still learning, but I'm not an apprentice in the same way that I was. You know, say in my twenties, where I'm still like well, how, you know, how do you write this sort of thing, you know? And so I have a a greater um, sort of mastery of the writer's craft. And so I can get to the good stuff more quickly. And also I have a a deeper sense of like the role, the sort of negative feelings play in actually doing good writing. So like doubt isn't an indicator to me that I'm going down the wrong trail or the sense of doom, like this whole thing is a disaster, (laughs) isn't, to be, you know, isn't necessarily a sign that it really is a disaster. Yeah. Oh, what I now you know, know is like, yourself so well now. Yeah, what yeah. I know is like, oh yeah, this is what it feels like to write a novel. Like what it feels like to write a book is like, for me at least, the constant sense that the book is failing, <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that I will never ever finish it. And if I do finish it, it's just going to be a, a pile of crap. And so that's how it feels for me to write a book. Yeah, it's. It, I feel like sometimes people are so disappointed to hear that writing is really unglamorous. I know. Well, and people always, it's so funny. People always want to hear, I think, uh, from writers like, you know, it's finally reached the point where it's easy. And, and I'm always like, no, you know what? It never is easy. It's never easy. It's always hard. And of course there are days that are like, wow, that was a fun writing day. It just spilled out of me. But so I'm not saying that there's no pleasure in the process, but Overall, the process is difficult, and you and you're you're always beginning anew. Yeah, and I mean, we know this to be true. All you have to do is read a bunch of books by the same author, and you will see that some of those books are masterpieces, and some of them aren't. And there's no necessarily. It's not like you know most writers don't just keep getting better and better and better. I mean, I think that there's in a lot of people's um, careers, you know, they write a great book and then they write a mediocre book and then they write a good book and then they write a masterpiece. I mean, you know, that things change over time. And, and that's because, you know, you can't write to please people. I wasn't writing wild to please people. I was writing wild because it was the book I had to write. I had no idea so many people would like it. Uh, so I did, I had no control over that. It just like I, none of us, we, none of us do. Yeah. That's so interesting that you, you now know how it feels and it's not it's not easy but but then do you you know when some people say oh I'm gonna go away this weekend and like rent um uh, I don't know a hotel room and and write do do you do you sort of feel like that myth 
needs to be busted a little bit about this like perfect condition for writing because obviously you've got two children and do you do it with like pieces of stolen time or do you have to go and shut yourself away both you know I think that um absolutely the, the way wild got written actually is that I mean my kids were you know preschoolers at this time they're they're 10 and 11 now but when I was writing wild they were really you know very labor intensive they were at an age where you know when you're w- with them you're really with them and so the constant interruption and the distractions I inched along writing wild but when I would really write wild as I would go away for a day or two just check into a a cheap hotel near my house and write Mm. because I tend to be a binge writer I tend to need to be immersed and it's it the conditions don't don't have to be um you know luxurious or perfect in any way the 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 only condition I need to really write is peace Mm. you know just (laughs) not to be interrupted by anyone or anything no need to go to this engagement or stop stop writing because I have to make somebody dinner or somebody's nap is over. You know, just be left to my own devices and to write. And that has been incredibly hard for me now. You know, obviously my kids, but also just my career, which has been being the ambassador for a while and then tiny beautiful things and brave enough and just like on and on and on. Yeah. So now I'm trying to pull back so that I can write. But yeah, I'm finding it very hard. And that... I, I do think that so much of writing well is about being able to let the mind sink into that other space that that has to do with silence. That's that's about silence and and not being interrupted and not being on the internet and just allowing your mind to go into that deep place um, that that we can that you know that you have to be in that I have to be in to write. Yeah. Oh, well, so hearing how busy you are, I just wanted to say thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, I've um, loved talking to you. Oh, it's just been so nice. And um, yeah, it's funny that when you do kind of watch talks and like follow people on Twitter, you feel like you kind of know them. So it's just lovely talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's thank lovely you. talking to you too, Emma. If you like this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me. Also, um, tweet me at Girl Lost in City on Twitter. I'd love to hear your feedback. So thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week.